Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So many of us feel stuck and unsure of how to make positive changes in life. Journaling is a proven way of keeping yourself on track and creating lasting change. The How I Quit Alcohol Playbook will take you through 365 days of gratitude, daily affirmation and loads of techniques to help you stay on track and head towards a clearer future. Head to the show notes or iquitalcohol.com.au to grab yourself a copy today. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated, elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm so very excited to have Jamie Faulkner, who is a really good friend of ours and a brilliant musician and um, also a sober buddy. And uh, Jamie's tuning in or zooming in from Germany, where you now reside. How are you, Jamie? I'm good, Danny. It's nice to be on the podcast. Finally. Oh, oh my God. I've just been at this guy for so long to come on. He's like, it's not enough time yet. I want to have a bit longer. So you're coming up to two years sober in July. And finally, you were like, yes, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know you've been, uh, you know, poking me a lot saying, come on, come on. When are you going to come on the, on the podcast? Um, and I wanted to from day one, but I think there was something within myself that was like, you know, put in the time first and um, get to a point where you feel comfortable chatting about it. And, and, you know, I feel like at this stage, I've definitely got some miles behind me and some experience without alcohol and, and feel much more 
comfortable talking about it. Yeah, that's awesome. So it was probably, God, how long ago was it, JMO? It was before we had kids. Funniest mm, thing, Ash too. and I were on tour. I think we are on tour. Yeah, we was playing in Europe and we decided to take a little holiday and we caught a train from somewhere in Italy. We were hungover as hell and decided to go to Pisa, I think, from Milan, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And we're on this train, this, t- this small little train. <laughs> then I can't remember if it was me. I can't remember who saw who first, but in this fucking train, because you're originally from Melbourne and you're in the blues scene in Melbourne's blues musician. Or And then we look up and there's J. Mai Faulkner walking down the train carriage and we're just like, what the hell? It was one of those weird serendipitous moments. Um, I remember I got on the train and for whatever reason, I wasn't happy to sit in the carriage that I'd actually gotten on. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to walk through the train until I find a nice spot to sit. And two carriages later, I'm walking past and I, and I, and I looked to my right and I was like, no way. What are the odds of that? And I didn't even know you were, you were in Italy at the time. Um, crazy? And we were both going uh, to Pisa for the day just to have a look around. And I dare say I was also uh, hungover. On that and then trip. we got smashed, didn't we? We got smashed. Absolutely smashed in front of the Leaning Tower and took the uh, obligatory photos of us propping it up with, uh, you know. I've got to try and find this. And, um, yeah, it, it I, was a great day. I, I, remember I won't go into what we shared, but I do <laughs> very funnily that I can remember stuff. There was a lot of oversharing going on <laughs> that session. Oh, really? I, I don't remember that. I'll so. tell you after. It was yeah, very funny. But um, anyway, so that was not bizarre. It was just so bizarre. And then I think we went off our separate ways. I can't really remember. It was so long ago. It was pre-children for both of us. Mm. And, um, yeah, so anyway, so obviously um, the drinking. <laughs> Tell us about when you started and, you know, how, how it developed for you. Yeah, well, I, I guess like a lot of people who grow up in Australia, um, you know, you've talked about it a lot on your podcast. There is an inherent drinking culture. Um, at least I, I felt that way growing up. And I probably had my first drink when I was about 14 or 15, um, I would say. In the early high school years, you know, on, on the weekends, I would catch up with my buddies and there would be booze around. And we would go to all lengths, you know, we'd do what we could to make sure that we found booze and got our buzz on and, and just started exploring what it was like to to dabble with alcohol it was certainly something that had always been present in my childhood my parents were both drinkers um you know wine with dinner and and beers on the weekend and and all that kind of stuff and yeah it was an an, uh, something that was always present and seemed like kind of a a rite of passage as well Mm -hmm. yeah so I I would say about 14 or 15 Mm -hmm. I dabbling for sure yeah and then how did it progress for you like did it that relationship with alcohol obviously we all kind of start like that where it's we're doing it with our peers and we're kind of just thinking it's a bit of fun when did it start to kind of turn for you and did it yeah that's that's an interesting question I I think to be honest I never really thought about it too much until recently Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. but I I think it just became ritualistic Mm-hmm. as is often the case you go through the working week and you look forward to the weekend where you can get on the booze with your buddies and 
you plan big, outrageous events and booze is often at the forefront of those events. Mm-hmm. And that was certainly the case throughout high school. I remember on, on Fridays, we had essentially the first two classes and we were done by 10.30 and we would go straight to the pub and we would get on the source until, you know, probably six o'clock at night, would go home and maybe nap for a couple of hours, already having had a, a ton of booze. And then we would meet again at eight or nine o'clock in the evening and drink through till three, repeat that on Saturday and we repeat that on Sunday. So um, by the time I got to that 17, 18 year old um, mm-hmm. self, I was definitely consuming a ton of alcohol. Absolutely. And that just continued even more so throughout university when um, there was even more freedom and studying music and I was becoming more and more active in the music scene and of course that meant going to bars and clubs to to play or to to hang out with other music musicians to network and of course that just fueled the 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 booze even more yeah it's so firstly at 17 or 18 you think drinking that much alcohol like your brain hasn't even completely fully developed yet at that age. So you think, wow, that's full on. Now, Danny, <laughs> I, I think I could have been much more intelligent had I have uh, held off from drinking till I was in my mid twenties or thirties and given my brain an actual chance to, to, de- to develop during those formative years. Um, mm. And as is often the case, it wasn't just booze, you know, it was hitting, hitting the weed pretty heavily, yeah. heavy age and, uh, and dabbling in other things as well um, at, at some point. So yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, these, these are the years where our, our brain is developing and um, it would have been a completely different story. I'm sure if I had have kept clean during this time, but you know, such is life. I, I had a good time. There's no doubting that. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. And you can't kind of, I've talked about this a lot with people on the podcast that you can't regret where you've been because you perhaps not. would end up exactly where you are right now. So you know, but I do remember, I think it was Jill, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. I don't know if you've, she's got these amazing um, TED Talks on the brain and about how the, the brain is not developed until we're 24 years old. So really that we should be avoiding alcohol and drugs until the age of 24, at least right. when the brain's completely developed. So that was pretty like, whoa, because you think about a lot of us, we start when we're so young and it is true. You think, fuck, what? what could I possibly have been capable of had I not given myself potential brain damage <laughs> at, that, <laughs> at that age? But we don't think about that, unfortunately, you know, at the time. Yeah. Did you study at the VCA or where did you study your music? No, I studied at Box Hill TAFE, which okay. um, and my major, for, for want of a better word, was in guitar playing. Um, mm-hmm. So I studied contemporary guitar, which, which mm-hmm. dabbled in, in jazz and uh, a little classical, but mostly, mostly contemporary music um, mm-hmm. and, and jazz theory. So just trying to better myself on my instrument. And at the same time, um, beginning the process of, of writing music and, and making my first album, which came out in 2004, I believe. Yeah, I asked that too because I know of like I'm not saying anything about the VCA or anything like that, but some of just some people that I've played with myself, my my very very first band, 
one of the guys who played, he was a full blown alcoholic and he, he'd just come out of VCA and oh my God, he was so young. And we felt so much older at the time, but looking back, I think he was probably in his twenties and already had a really bloated face and he couldn't play his instrument um, until he had a couple of beers, the poor bugger, because he was shaking so badly and God, I don't even know if he's still with us, but he was such a beautiful player, like very talented, um, amazing musician, but just such a. Yeah, there, there wasn't a, there, I don't remember, or at least I don't recall a drinking culture at all in Box Hill. Right. And if I remember correctly, I think Box Hill might have been a dry city. Mm. Oh, true. Um, I do vaguely recall trying to access booze in Box Hill. Um, during like a, a lunchtime or whatever. And I think the only place you could get booze was at the RSL. Um, <laughs> it was too far away and it was just, and, I, and of course I had to drive as well. So we kind of took, took that off the table. But certainly things switched over in the nighttime. I was living in Fitzroy, basically, um, North Carlton. And at that time, the kind of hotspot for music was in Fitzroy in Brunswick Street and Johnson Street. Um, a lot of my dear friends were performing regularly mm. around time, as was I. And um, certain bars essentially became my lounge room. Yeah. I would go probably three nights a week and just sit at the bar, drink beer and play chess with the bartender at the old bar. And then on the weekend, <laughs> I'd be playing uh, all over the place and, and getting on the booze again. So, yeah. Oh, that was so, it was, it was pretty wild back then. And look, I know... Yeah, Ash often says that he was never a big drinker because he was so into soccer and it wasn't until he broke his leg playing soccer that he started getting into guitar because he had nothing else to do and he was, he's one of those people that's just quite studious and needs mm. to apply himself to something so he just went crazy playing guitar and then from then he would start playing and he started doing some gigs and that's when the drinking started for him and mm. he had that belief like so many other musicians that he needed that to kind of prop him up. But then a lot of people he was looking up to, Chris Wilson and, you know, all those sort of guys, the sort of older guys, that they were already, you know, drinking a lot. And he, I guess there's that part of him that wants to fit in with that crowd and, you know, and that's just what everyone did. So that's what he did, you know, it just starts Yeah, drinking. it's a subconscious thing, isn't it? When your mentors are, are quite visibly um, mm. drinking heavily and you look up to these people and you want to find a way to edge into the conversation and have a laugh with them and, and be remembered. But mm. of course, um, that sense of peer pressure kicks in and, and you head for the booze and um, yeah, you, you buy drinks for these people and, and they return the favor. And before you know it, you're off and away and uh, drunk and, and everything that, that comes with that. So yeah, it's definitely a, a huge part of the music culture or at least it, it was. I, I actually feel, and perhaps it's just the 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 place I find myself in now, that that is changing. Um, people's mm. people's relationship with alcohol seems to be changing, and people are, are much more aware of the the health issues associated with regularly drinking. Since I've stopped, I've become aware of a lot more people who are in the music industry who do not drink. Maybe it's just because I'm having more of these conversations with people. But along the mm. way, I, I, I mentioned to some people that, you know, I don't drink and they're like, oh, yeah, neither do we. And it's it's just, it, it is how it is. Yeah, I think things are changing slowly. Billy Otto is an amazing musician. He's younger and 
he and his sort of crew that he that like he doesn't drink at all and then he's also wanting to mentor other younger people that are coming up and teaching them about clean living and mm-hmm. he's super cool like he's a cool he's beautiful looking and he's very you know instagrammy and it's just a beautiful human but his whole thing is no looking after yourself because you're going to make better music when you're in that great headspace and it's you know yeah it's it's really cool when we were back back and playing back in the day it was only ever jeff lang that didn't drink and we all thought why does jeff not drink <laughs> like what's wrong with him yeah, exactly and that that was always a question it's like oh why is this man making this choice and yeah uh, fuck we'd give him a hard time too shit poor thing and he would just take it with a smile on his face and and go about his way i mean there's there's no he is as good as he is because of course he's incredibly uh, studious and and gifted as well mm-hmm. but i dare say not drinking alcohol has also played a huge part in his um virtuosity as a musician <sighs> yeah um the amount of time he would have saved i mean you you mention it all the time on the podcast i i do listen um <laughs> about how much time you actually gain when you don't drink mm-hmm. these uh, epic hangovers that just eat into our lives are no longer there and they they create space and, and time to put into things that are important to us and if that means writing or becoming better on our instrument or going for a walk in the forest you know, it doesn't have to be anything music related of course um, or spending time with our family quality time um, these are all really positive outcomes from from living a a clean life yeah absolutely absolutely even someone was mentioning from one of my groups today that she's starting to enjoy just the boring stuff in life (laughs) because she's just it just is and she can just accept it and she can just be it's kind of so cool yeah that that probably comes down more to one's spirituality perhaps just the Mm. ability to live in the moment Mm -hmm. and appreciate the the finer things because they are there if, if you're aware of them and you're looking for them. And I think that's also part of the spiritual journey that comes from um, deciding to live clean and, and giving, us, giving yourself the mental space to actually start to take a deep dive into who you are as a person and who you want to be and how you want to better yourself. And mm. um, I know you talk a lot about meditation and self, self-awareness on, on the mm-hmm program and I think that's just something that that becomes so important when you when you stop drinking you can't mm. help but not look at yourself and and who you've been and who you want to become mm. and start working on yourself with any without any um feel like yeah without anything kind of clouding your your vision um I guess mm-hmm. yeah. mm. it does take a while to get there too I think because I think the first few months, it's kind of just, holy shit, I've just got to get through this and not drink. I mean, it's different for everyone. And then after you settle into it a bit more, I, I find usually with people and, and ourselves, it's like after around two or three months, you can really start diving deep and really start to think about, okay, who am I letting go of and who am I becoming and mm. really start to focus in on that more. And, and you do start to enjoy those things because I think the first few weeks and months too, there's a lot of firsts. So getting through those firsts and then when you start to get a bit more, I don't know, things become a bit more normal and settle down after that first little while. And it's so true. Then you can start to work on the more spiritual stuff, which that's when the, I don't know, that's when all the good stuff happens. That's the big transformational stuff. I would say that's been the most difficult aspect for me. 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't feel like giving up the booze was such such a big deal for me. I think I was kind of working towards it over the years before making the the, the actual firm decision to give mm-hmm. it a break. Um, and certainly listening to the first couple of episodes of your podcast was definitely a, a catalyst to, to doing so. Awesome. But the last years before making that firm decision, I was taking breaks. I was taking month long breaks. I decided that I wasn't going to drink on tour and I do tour a lot normally. Um, you know, Ash did that a few times. times. Yeah. And I found that worked really well for me. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like I performed better that I was, I, I had a bit more energy um, to, to handle the the long drives and the late nights and, and the lack of sleep and, and that side of things. So I kind of felt like I was working up towards it. And, and when I did make that choice to say, okay, well, what am I actually gaining here? Mm-hmm. By drink? Do I need it? I certainly have lived what feels like a lifetime of partying and boozy nights and hangovers. I'm not missing out on that anymore. I've lived that life and it's time to try something different. And the giving up the booze was not really a big deal. I, I, mm-hmm. I didn't find myself reaching for it that regularly or, or feeling wanting to. And I, I don't know what the deal is in, in Australia, but here in Europe, there's a very different drinking culture. Mm-hmm. It's, it's less boozy. Um, mm, for sure. We've noticed that. Yeah. It's something that you partake in as, you know, if you're sitting in a restaurant, you'll have a glass of wine or the non-alcoholic scene here is huge. Really? Zero so percent beers, the non-alcoholic gins and, and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I found that first of all, I didn't really come into any peer pressure to drink because it was as simple as saying, yeah, I'll just have an alcohol-free beer. Thanks. Full stop. Could be at a party and drink, you know, six alcohol-free beers or whatever and chase them down with some water. And I haven't had any alcohol, but I'm still part of the the party and still having a having a nice time and interacting with people. And there would be plenty of other people at the party drinking non-alcoholic beverages, you know, could be that they come and drink a couple of real beers and then have a bunch of alcoholic drinks, uh, sorry, non-alcoholic drinks after that. So the culture is a little bit different. And mm. it made it easier for me to transition. I think it it may have been harder if I was surrounded by my peer group at home with everyone getting visibly drunk and wanting me to join. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I would have to make decisions about boundaries and and how long to stay at a place and and what I was prepared to to do to kind of honor my own decisions. I know you've talked about that as well on, on the podcast about putting up clear boundaries and saying, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not drinking now. I'm going to go to this party and I'll, I'll commit to three hours. And it's clear that the party's reached a point where everyone's in that super boozy mode. And I don't feel like I'm getting anything from anyone personally that feels authentic, you know, then, then it's time to go. But in Europe, I haven't really been in that situation. So wow. Um, transition was was easier for me for sure so funny because europe is often the trigger for people to start drinking and it's like i can't go to europe without drinking <laughs> and really? i remember scott spoken about that on the the podcast before that was the catalyst for he and claire to start drinking again after their first big break in in this latest stint of not drinking for us in this within this four years of saying to ash i could never go to europe 
and drink but then you do you know and it's just it's beautiful I didn't we didn't do the alcohol free thing there just you know beautiful sparkling waters and it was fine it was completely fine and we really enjoyed it probably more than we ever have so Mm. that's kind of cool so you didn't that's great you weren't really feeling the pressure it's for sure like I'm sure that with the the drinking culture being a little different there or perhaps within the circles that you're in that would have made it a lot easier so what was it for you that what got you to the point where you were like, I want to stop? Like even even with those mini breaks that you'd have from alcohol, what was it that made you feel like this isn't serving me anymore? Well, I, I stopped on the 4th of July, which is a, the day after my birthday on the 2020. And I think it was a, a combination of a few things. We were a few months into COVID and there was a real uncertainty about how long this thing was going to last and what my career would look like. And and I was scrambling to kind of reinvent myself online as many musicians uh, have had to do. That was definitely one, yeah, one large part of the decision-making process. I wanted to go into that with more clarity. Also, I'd become a father in late 2018. And as you know, Danny, the first couple of years of parenthood is exhausting, mm-hmm. um, or at least that, that has been my experience. <laughs> It was absolutely exhausting. Um, my daughter was unfortunately a child that slept very, very badly for the first year and a half, basically only slept on us, which meant there'd be, I mean, it, it was a normal thing that we'd be up literally walking the floor with her sleeping in this ego baby uh, harness thing. And and we'd Brutal. take it in like three or four hours at a time. And one of us would get rest and the other one would just walk the floor. You know, I remember being out in the middle of winter, just walking the streets for hours just so she would get some rest and yeah and with that of course comes you know some some relationship zombieism and and strain and mm. i found myself at the end of the day reaching for booze as a way to just try to find a sense of fun and calm so before i decided to quit i was definitely ramping up my consumption of alcohol to the point where I was probably having a liter and a half, maybe two liters of beer a night and getting a real buzz on. And of course, waking up the next morning, feeling foggy and having to go through the process of looking after my daughter who was not easy during that time. And yeah, and it, it, it all just kind of added up and I was just like, look, I need some real clarity here. I need to do the right thing and stop drinking and give myself the best chance to, to survive this time. And it certainly, it felt like survival at that point. It was, it was kind of like, okay, this, this stuff is pretty heavy and the booze is not helping. So mm-hmm. it's when you see that it's actually not helping to make such, <laughs> because so many people go for so long, not realizing that it's actually making it so much worse. And I mm. can't even imagine you know, going, it's just brutal those early years with, with babies and then mm. having to deal with that on top of a hangover and totally get why, you know, how like totally get why you'd go for the beer at the end of, you know, at the end of the night or wine for, for a lot of people as well. Mm. But yeah, just to wake up and have to deal with that again, or perhaps if you hadn't, you know, if you had quite a bit to drink and then had to get up a couple of hours later with the bubs, it's really hard. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. at at some point it just became very clear. I was like, okay, I need, yeah, something needs to change. And this is something that I can change quite easily, have a, an outcome that, that is positive quite quickly. 
you know, you, you start to feel better relatively quickly after giving up booze. I think it stays in your system for a bit, but you do notice that you begin to sleep better. You, um, you think more clearly, of course, the hangovers are no longer there. So there, there's those immediate changes that you can, you can feel they were important in the, in the beginning. That was, you know, another catalyst for, for making that decision. Do you think that, did you focus a lot or was it just how it happened, but just having that focus on how it was making you feel in a positive way rather than what you were missing out on? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I guess perhaps I was focusing on the positives. It also felt like a nice goal to achieve. I, I do like setting myself goals. And um, my initial goal was just to do 12 months mm-hmm. as yours. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do 12 months and that's, I'm sticking to it. And I, I remember quite early on texting you and saying, been listening to the podcast. I'm in, I've started, I'm doing 12 months. And I'm a person that does really well when I, you know, shout it from the rooftops. This is what I'm doing. I, I feel like that, that level of peer pressure is, is good for me. Yeah. To, some to, accountability. Yeah. Some accountability. That's a better mm-hmm. way to put it. And then I was accountable to you. So I was like, okay, well, that's that then I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm doing this and didn't waver during that 12 month period. That was, that was fine. And then I got to the 12 months and of course, everyone's asking me the question, are you going to get on the booze now <laughs> and i and i found myself in situations where i booked trips away with some mates for a weekend and whatnot and they were all like you're gonna get on the booze and there was definitely some pressure there but i it's weird once you get to that 12 month period you well I, I felt very much like i would be doing myself a disservice to start drinking again why would i go back to something that there's, there's some positives associated with drinking for sure. If you do it sparingly mm-hmm, for sure. And I do, I do miss the ritualistic aspect of it. Of course, I, I, I would be lying if I said I, I didn't. So I did miss that, but I was like, well, all this other stuff is really positive and I'm going to lean on that. And I'm going to, I'm going to double down on that because more than the, the positive feeling that I, that I got from not drinking was the work that I was doing on myself as a person, which I don't think really kicked in until like that 12 month period, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of felt like after 12 months, my brain started to open up again and I, and I developed the, the space, but also the will to actually tackle some pretty big personal things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so awesome. And that's been that's been the hardest thing about stopping drinking for me, to be honest. It's tackling these things that I've brushed to the side for so long mm-hmm. and be that just because I wasn't ready to tackle them. Perhaps it's because I reach for the booze and, and push them aside. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a little bit of that, a little bit of truth in that as well. So yeah, it was, it was like, fuck, I'm, I'm doing this great work now and I'm starting to, take a deep dive and it's confusing and it's uh it's uncertain at times mm-hmm. um starting to tackle some pretty heavy questions like who am i <laughs> <laughs> like what a what a massive question to to ask yourself and to start analyzing and, and looking back on my life and, and thinking what who have i been also that that's mm-hmm. also a huge question who have i been have i simply been coasting through life on this kind of autopilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the lack of booze definitely 
allowed me to dive into those questions and they're absolutely not answered yet you know they're still they're still a work in progress well Um, i can assure you that four years down the track (laughs) they're still not answered because it's still a work in progress mm. but it's it's so true though and it becomes deeper and more richer the relationship with yourself and that Mm. healing and all those things that happen that come along with it but there's you're so right like all that stuff we just drink it away and we push it away and really i think that the real the juice of the sobriety pardon the pun is is really in that leaning into that what whatever it was i was pushing away and it takes a while sometimes it comes up straight away for some people Mm. and others it's a bit of a slow burn but it's always there and but it's nothing to be scared of right like it's it's big work but i think it's not doesn't have to be too big and scary how did you Mm. tackle how did you go about tackling it yourself it's yeah it it is a bit scary it's confronting Mm -hmm. for me it's been a really beautiful process because it's kind of slow and gradual how was Mm -hmm. it for you it was i i would say it's confronting Mm -hmm. but I, i think anytime that you're looking at who you are with the goal of bettering yourself you're always going to run into situations where you say you know this situation was not ideal in the way that I handled it or um, Mm -hmm. or you might find that the way you were going about life you now consider to be unfair or could be all all manner of of different things Mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's absolutely it's hard work but Mm -hmm. it's necessary work if you're wanting to feel at peace with yourself and if you're wanting to better yourself as a as a human being which i think is such an important part of being a human is to be the best version of yourself that you can be for yourself but also for your community i guess in in my situation as well as as a you know a a public figure i'm mm-hmm. always around other people and I communicate with other people and to be the best version of myself that I can be for them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't that kind of just the the crux of life? Like to be the best person you can be, mm-hmm. sit on your deathbed at some stage and feel content with the life that we've led. I think that's, that's where I want to be. I want to, I want to, you know, if I have a, a second of self-realization and go, yeah, you, you did well. Um, oh, that would yeah. be incredibly rewarding. Absolutely. I don't know about you, but just in reflection, just reflecting on my own self with what you were just saying too, I think, although I didn't realize it at the time when I was drinking a lot, but I felt like I was living life to the fullest. I thought I was smashing life, but really Mm -hmm. in hindsight and looking back, it was such a life half lived Mm -hmm. that now I feel like I'm really living life. And why do you say that? Well, I guess it's all the time spent being hungover, not being present with myself and my own feelings, with the people I was around, the people that I was spending time with. I don't know, the choices I made, they just weren't, they definitely certainly weren't, I really don't think they were enhancing my life in any way, oh, in some ways, I guess. But I mean, I don't want to be completely down on it because I had fun, but mm. now life just feels so much richer and I feel like I'm living life to my best possible capabilities most of the time i'm not you know definitely not perfect but no. you know it's, it's funny because we went away because we've just been smashed by these floods here in australia which i know you know about and our the reason i've also had to take a couple of weeks off 
the podcast because our studio got smashed downstairs with flood and um, ashes music studio and so we haven't been able to have people in to do the podcast and I normally even record on zoom down there and anyway and just everything that's been going on here and it's been quite horrific really and it's been just dealing with everyone and the community and just the Mm. sheer magnitude of the damage and loss of life and all the rest of it so firstly a just to be super present for that and to be able to keep calm and really Mm. not lose my wig too much over it like just using the tools in my toolbox to stay focused but then I just took my girls away to Sydney for the weekend to see 95 musical which is an adaption of the Dolly Parton movie 95 from the 80s anyway but I was reflecting on that too and firstly I never would have you know, when I was drinking, never thought I could have ever flown without drinking or been in an airport lounge without drinking. Never would have thought I could have hung out with my kids all weekend and not <laughs> treated myself to a sneaky glass of wine or 10, <laughs> especially after they'd gone to sleep. Never thought I would have not smashed a hotel mini bar, And, mm. you know, on all these things that I'd realized just in reflection when I was there and I was journaling about it. Wow. You know, I I was just able to be super present for all of the stuff. So even to go to the musical with my girls and not drink champagne and I would spend probably most of the time thinking, how am I going to get two glasses in or how will I be able to sneak out and get another one when this, you know, like all those things that would take up my, my brain space. Suddenly it's not there anymore in four years down the track. So I feel like my life is so much better lived now in, in to be present for it all, if you know what I mean, and I the do. good and the bad about kind of tapping into the essence of of life and and joy and you're you're basically saying hey now the idea of taking my girls away for the weekend Mm -hmm. is joy enough totally Um, recognizing the 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 joy that you get out of that and how rewarding that is and the alcohol although you know who you were in the past that person would have would have dealt with that situation differently but i dare Mm -hmm. say that not really a factor in your life anymore. It is when it comes to reflection, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not who you are anymore, I, I would say. And, and for you, it's more about having the, the space and prioritizing different things. And totally. Priority for you now is to be ever present with your family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when you clock in in the morning and it's family time, you're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's been a big realization for me as well. Um, mm-hmm. Is am I there? Am I there when I'm supposed to be there? I was I was always there physically, but I feel now more than ever I'm there physically and emotionally, and I'm I'm in the moment. I'm present mm-hmm. when I'm with my daughter or with um with my wife. I'm I'm there, and there's so many other things that that tie into that. Just you know, th- throwing the phone near the front door when it's family time and just leaving it there. It's not, it's not a priority focusing on the moment. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, that's, it's very powerful. Just that on its own is is very powerful and certainly not drinking anymore enables that to be a reality. Absolutely. And sometimes you don't, like I was saying, I never would have thought I could have done any of those things sober. Or I never would have thought I would have even enjoyed them. So for people that are listening to this conversation and and perhaps are thinking, oh, God, it all just seems too hard and I can't imagine life without alcohol, I think we can both guarantee that life 
it is possible. It's doable without alcohol and it can be even more fulfilling and yeah, just richer. Yeah, because I think one of the problems is and why it's potentially difficult to make the shift is because we're thinking about, you know, when we're in that moment, we're thinking about the life that we've led and that's always been fueled by alcohol. Mm -hmm. So how do you envisage life without that? What you don't realize is that you tap into a different type of joy and, and reality when you're not drinking. And that is rewarding. It's it's more rewarding from a I guess a spiritual level, if you want to put it that way, than drinking. Mm. And it it kind of stays with you for longer and it and it fuels you more. Those moments become more powerful as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this this weekend you spent with your with your family. This is um, and doing something really jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it blue nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price go to blue com and experience the convenience of shopping blue nile the original online jeweler since 1999 that's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Special and, and, and going out of your way to, to hop on a plane and, and to, to book those tickets. And they're things mm-hmm. that your girls are going to remember forever because mm-hmm. that was time away with mom. And you've, you've built a, you've, yeah, you, you've created a special memory um, and you've had the space to be able to do that that's really powerful as well so yeah it's it's very easy to just focus on the alcohol itself but it's it's much bigger than that once you once you make the decision to to change who you are or to to better yourself i think is a better way of putting it yeah yeah so true getting rid of alcohol is such a small component of this whole transformation Mm. i think it's like this much like it's the tiniest little bee's dick of an amount compared to (laughs) (laughs) to compared to what it's really all about. I mean, of course, you can just abstain from alcohol and, and that's it. Well, from a health health standpoint, it's great, you know. Oh, yeah, uh, but, you know, like emotionally, you'd always just feel like you'd have the FOMO unless there's a, I think there has to be a bit of a spiritual component. Yeah, is, I mean, definitely still working on it. I mean, I've got my little book here, you know, this is my my gratitude journal and um, just a book that I, I kind of uh, debrief at the end of the day and just awesome go for a bit of a, a write and it's something that i'm you know I'm, I'm still trying to make it a daily a daily ritual and Good I'll, I'll, I, I am getting there and that's also important because it there's something pretty special or something very powerful i guess about putting something to paper you have to stop and think about the words before you put them down you actually have to think about is that true you start to analyze things differently totally um, it's very easy to spew out words you know, if you're sitting with a friend and then talking about your experience or an issue or something, it's very easy to spew out a whole bunch of words. Um, but to sit and to quietly reflect on things and 
and journal about them and, and think about things that you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. It also shifts your awareness of, uh, of how lucky we are and, and, and what we have. Totally. Yeah. So that's, that's also a, a big part of the shift and part of the journey. So before you decided, you know, to give it away and take the year off, how did you imagine life without alcohol? Did you think it was possible a life without alcohol? What did it feel like to you imagining a life without alcohol? Yeah. The, the inherent feelings were definitely there. The, the sense of, uh, am I going to be able to have fun again? Am I going yes. to be, am I going to be relevant to my friends? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm, am I going to have these wild moments again? Yes. Um, the, these kind of things. And um, things have been different. Absolutely. But, you know, the last two years are, are not the best indication either because been <laughs> home the yeah. time because of Corona. So, but yeah, they're, they're definite fears that you face when you think about making the leap. And they were definite fears for me. I was, I was like, well, I'm not the kind of person who, never says never if that makes sense and even the idea of getting back on the booze again I mean I I don't see it really in my future but again never say never maybe there's a situation one day when I don't know I'm on top of a mountain in a beautiful restaurant and someone offers me a glass of wine and I might take it I don't I don't know but I don't really see that as part of my future uh, mm-hmm. at this present point in time but yeah I'm I'm certainly happy with where I find myself at the moment and and yeah, I guess to answer your question, it's the FOMO thing. The fear of missing out um, is the biggest mm-hmm. fear. And also just the fear of the unknown because, mm-hmm. you know, in my case, drinking since I was 14 until 38 or however old I was, that's a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And to step out of something that is a huge part of your life is scary no matter what that is. Yeah. And, and, it, and there was elements of that at play for sure. Um, as I say, for me, it was a kind of gradual lead up into that because I had made some decisions the years before to kind of have a month here, a month here off um, and not drink while touring. So I kind of had led up to that, but mm-hmm. that fear of missing out and um, the fear of the unknown was, was still present at the beginning of this journey. It feels much less relevant now yeah do you ever have the FOMO happen these days um it's a good question don't think so I'm pretty pretty self-assured if that's the right way of putting it like I, I, I mm-hmm. feel comfortable with myself I feel comfortable saying no yeah um, and I feel comfortable setting my boundaries and if, if I'm in a situation that I don't feel comfortable in no I'll, I'll just leave I don't need mm-hmm. to be I don't need to stay there, but you know, it still happens. I, I played a gig on the weekend and as is often the case, a, a guy who was obviously super uh, energized by the concert, wanted to drink a bunch of schnapps with me <laughs> after the gig. And I just said, well, you know, you, you go and enjoy, but I'm, I don't drink. Simple as that. Oh, so, and how did you feel saying that? Did you feel awkward or did you feel empowered? No, not at all. It was, it's just, part of who I am now it's just yeah I don't drink um I haven't haven't drunk for a number of years and yeah that's that's who I am that's the decision that I've made and yeah I don't have to justify it to you it's it's my choice and such is life Mm -hmm. so it sounds it sounds as though your journey has been very much one based on 
probably the the positive aspects and you haven't let your mind go too much into that into the FOMO realm which is mm. so helpful because you know I talk about this a lot on the podcast Ash certainly talks about this a lot when you let your mind go there into everything I'm missing out on and oh fuck you know you know bummer and feel start to feel sorry for yourself that's when it gets really difficult where it sounds like you didn't really go down that road at all you've sort of kept it really positive would you say that's a fair yeah totally. I mean it feels very clear cut to me if if you're you know let's say we meet someone for the first time and they're put out by the fact that I don't drink well it's not really going to be a good match is it it's not going to be someone that I'm going to hang out with want to hang out with so it's yeah it's that black and white for me. It's not, it's not really uh, an issue. And again, I think you've talked about this on the podcast as well. There are certain people in our lives who have been friends that are kind of purely based around drinking. And mm-hmm. you examine that friendship with these people. There's not a lot of depth there because there can't be when you're constantly interacting with each other fueled by alcohol. So to change that dynamic is one option if the other person is open to it. But if they're not, well, that kind of speaks volumes to the to the relationship in the first place. Mm. That it's not a relationship with each other. It's a, it's a relationship with alcohol. So it feels very clear cut to me um, mm-hmm. in sort of situations. And, and I'm fortunate enough that my friends, although from time to time they may egg me on and say, you know, we're, we're going to Barcelona together come on, you can have a drink for sure. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. no. And, you know, they might bring it up twice and then it's a non-issue. They're ordering mm-hmm. me alcoholic beverages at the bar when it's their round, you know, it's, it's fine. It's just who I am. And they might miss the, the super out of control, wild version of, of myself from time to time, mm-hmm. but more to me than, than that. And there's a, a greater depth. And what is interesting is those depths get explored way more than the superficial conversation. That's what I find the most rewarding. Mm-hmm. My friendships have actually gotten stronger because we're not just talking about shit anymore. We are examining who we are as people and, and we're helping each other. It's, it becomes a much more rewarding relationship and a much mm-hmm. more powerful relationship. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's been a decision, uh, a good decision, and one that I've approached through the lens of positivity, I guess. Oh, yeah, totally. And do you ever miss that wild part of yourself? Do you ever miss that part of you that just lets go and acts like the wild, crazy guy and gets pretty loose? The dickhead? <laughs> sure I do. I'm not saying that. I am. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I used to be uh, pretty crazy. Used to be the first one to uh, try to get everyone fueled up and get things to a point where things were absolutely chaotic and wild. And there's an element of, of me that, that misses that for sure. I'd be lying if I, if I said that wasn't the case. But I'm also at a different point in my life. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a family man now. I've got a kid and a, and a wife and life looks different. Um, I'm not out on the booze or I'm not out late at night all the time anymore mm-hmm. um, going to bars and that kind of stuff and I don't need to be I'm just in a different phase like for me going out to a restaurant with a good mate and having a, a great meal and um and a, and a great conversation and then maybe heading out and seeing some live music and 
and whatnot. For me, that's that's super nice, like a really nice evening. And as I say, like the the majority of my non-drinking experience has been one at home just due to COVID. So there's also a new world that's slowly starting to unfurl for me, which is the the going out and what it means to be a, a non-drinker in a public setting. And I could probably talk to you better about that in a year's time or in a couple of years time. <laughs> Well, um, what's what's great is you've got your new album out and you've already been touring. You've started touring that, which is good. So you're kind of getting out and getting amongst it, even though you'd already had time off when you were touring. Also, congratulations on your new album, which is called Alan Keys and Broken Bits. Songs about like- self-reflection on that on that record, Danny. Really? Yes. Awesome. Well, I- and stuff that is, yeah, I, I think it's the most, um, I don't know, I think it's the most honest album I've made, which is interesting, you know, considering that it was written during this non-alcoholic time. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's the most honest, the most hard on your sleeve kind of, as mm-hmm. I see it, not hiding behind too many metaphors. It's, it's very, very where I'm at at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of it. I think it's, it's, a, it's a great sounding record and it's, um, it, it's an honest record. And that's, that's been also an important journey for me as well to kind of unlock that next level of songwriting, mm-hmm. drawing, you know, I, I draw from my own personal experience with a lot of my writing and to kind of unlock the next levels of myself has enabled me to actually become a better writer as well. Yeah, it often does too with it, with the creative side. It just seems mm-hmm. to unlock this whole kind of new, new um, possibilities and, I don't know, things just seem to flow a lot better. Definitely. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have more space as well to do it. It's, um have the time and the space and I think the journaling helps as well it's just this um constant interaction with words um you know mm. I, I think you've probably read this book but there's that book the artist's way and I think yeah we're um, talking about that in the podcast recently yeah and and one of the recommendations of the author whose name escapes me at the moment is to um to wake up in the morning and just scribble out you know three or four pages of just whatever comes into your head yes Stream of consciousness. Stream of consciousness. Thank mm-hmm. you. See, if I hadn't have been drinking from 14, I would have got that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it, I believe it's her recommendation to just have this stream of consciousness right yeah. in the morning. And yeah. what it does is it just kind of wake up, wakes up your brain and um, gets, you, gets you thinking about writing and, and wordplay and, and all of that kind of stuff, which, of course, as a, as a lyricist can only help. You can only benefit from that. Oh, absolutely. Kelly Bruhaha, she's an amazing musician. She was on the podcast recently and she was talking about that book, The Artist's Way. And I remember reading it years ago, probably in my 20s or something like that. And it's a great book. But uh, whether you're a musician, an artist or not, I just think that stream of consciousness writing is really handy, particularly if you feel a bit blocked up with writing and you feel like you, mm. some people really, um, get so analytical about what they're going to write and judgy on themselves about what they're going to write in their own personal journal. Yeah. So I'd say, well, just, just write and just see what happens, see what comes out. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, definitely a positive thing. Something I I try to do more and more, let it flow and yeah, revisit it perhaps a little bit later or or when the Mm -hmm. time feels right. And it's, it's all there. The Mm -hmm. seeds are there and you can easily, you know, piece together something that's powerful because it, it's, your brain has kind of done the work and it's, and it's all there. It might be a little bit jumbled up and, and whatnot, but you can, you can certainly 
frame it in the right way so your message is how you, how you want it to be uh, portrayed. Totally. But even if you're just needing good old purge too, like if you're feeling a bit emotionally stuck, mm. so even like I was saying, even if you're not a musician, if you're just someone that wants to sit and just get some stuff out, just get the stream of consciousness going and you can rip it up and throw it out at the end. It doesn't matter. Yes. Just, you know, just getting it out is amazing. So with this process f- for you was the journaling and getting things out, was that sort of part of your strategy that you use or what, what strategies did you use initially to kind of fill up your mind enough to have you not thinking about alcohol? Well, I think like I, like I mentioned before, I was so busy with family life and with trying to reinvent myself online because of the COVID situation. Yeah. I reinvented myself. So I was kind of, I set up a member section on my website, like a Patreon style thing and started creating content for these people on a regular basis teaming up with you know professional videographers and and making really high quality quality videos and and um film clips and um live takes of of cover songs and all number of different things uh in addition to putting on very regular live streaming concerts ticketed live streaming concerts that's right i remember you doing that yeah so learning um how to use video programs to offer you know two or three different camera angles for my shows um it's a lot of learning a lot of learning and I just Mm -hmm. kind of threw myself into that process and um yeah in the evenings just reaching for something else I guess reaching for a water and trying to get out of habits I mean I I put on weight big time um I kind of when you quit yeah I I switch from alcohol to chocolate basically (laughs) It was outrageous the amount of chocolate I was eating. And it was it was super clear cut. It was like replace this with the other thing. And mm-hmm. um yeah. and I think that's a pretty normal story for a lot of people. Um and of course, after probably six months, I was like, come on, come on, come on, mate. <laughs> you don't need to eat <laughs> half a block of chocolate every night. You can uh you can find ways to, you know, get your get your buzz or or you know, different avenues to uh reward yourself at the end of the day. So yeah, it kind of, as I say, it was, it was a process for sure. Um, yeah. Not just the alcohol, but the, the process to getting to a level of being comfortable within myself and not needing to reach for anything else to make myself feel better. Mm. Um, reaching within to have that, um, that outcome. Yeah, that's so true. And it doesn't have to be like this overnight thing. It can be a gradual process. Just be kind to yourself, people mm. that are listening. Because some people are like, oh, you know, get so worried about the fact that they might be eating chocolate for a while or that's cool. okay. You know, it is fine. And the the goal is to have a clearer head. I mean, you're going to get mm. a bit buzzed on chocolate. You're definitely going to put on some weight, but you're going to have a clearer mind. Um, yeah. yeah. Don't do what I didn't have it just before bed. <laughs> well, you look like you're very slim. So you've obviously lost all the weight. So that's not a problem. But the other thing I love and, Ash is similar in this way as well, that when COVID struck or when the sort of the really stressful stuff comes, Ash is like this and you're obviously the same where you don't get so lost in that, oh, fuck, you know, and start drinking, drinking your worries away. You become more focused on an outcome and Ash is exactly the same. So for him, if he wants a positive outcome, it certainly doesn't involve getting smashed. It's like I have to be clear and I need to think quickly on my feet. So which is like what you did as well. So. There's something in that too, in not going 
too down this because of course it's scary time especially for musicians especially for anyone but when you're looking down the barrel of your livelihood being taken away to be able to think in outcomes and think no I want to be more clear to make good decisions Mm -hmm. and obviously part of that is getting rid of the alcohol so it's hard in these moments not to freak out especially you know I've I I grew up in a um, a situation where we were were comfortable uh, growing up but we certainly didn't have buckets of money. And um, whenever I wanted anything, you know, from, from a very early age, I was always working and always had a couple of jobs on the go, you know, sometimes three different jobs to fuel my passion, which was music and, and buying instruments and whatever. I never, never was handed free things in my life. I always worked for them. Yeah. When you get to a situation where the threat of your livelihood being taken away mm-hmm. uh, is very, it's a very hard pill to swallow and it, and it feels incredibly frightening, but yeah, you just, you kind of have to just not take that on and, and realize that, you know, I'm 40 years old now and I've been playing music since I was 16 and I've made it work for that long and I will continue to make it work until mm-hmm. I retire. We just need to continually lean on our skills and, and reinvent ourselves. And that, that kicked into me, that kicked in really quickly with me at, at the the point of the pandemic, it was like, okay, gigs are off the table, probably will be for a number of years. What can I do? What can I offer that is of value? Well, it's definitely music and also production. I also um, have the capabilities to record full bands and and also studied sound engineering in Melbourne for a year and have been Mm -hmm. collecting studio equipment for the last 20 years. And I've, I've got really great stuff here and I've been recording bands for the last five six years mm-hmm. so I lent on that was doing more recording and production work for other people I was mm-hmm. doing my own um, live streaming and and offering um, concerts online and, and whatever so just yeah focusing on the positives again and just saying okay yeah. this is scary I recognize that um, mm. but what can I do about this to make it work for me to, to bridge the gap between now and when the world kind of goes back to, to uh, its full capability in, in terms of live touring and whatnot. I think it comes down to as well, where you choose to put your focus. And Ash and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast and within my group, my challenge group talking about the same thing. It's you can get so caught up in the negatives and just start hammering yourself with alcohol and you're going to have a very different outcome to if you focus on, okay, what's the solution that I need and go for that and to stay sober, to stay clear. So had you been drinking through that time, you might be looking, you know, completely different now. It could have been, well, you might've been the same, who knows, but least thing, the the great thing is you've done, you've made the best choices for yourself to stay Mm. clear. And the whole thing of, you know, we keep coming back to to being present and being in the moment and um, yes, you know, the, the alcohol thing, drinking for so long, it just becomes habitual and, and you don't really consider any other options and, until, and, until you do, mm-hmm. um, I guess. But it was kind of the same with work. Like we, we were talking about this a little bit before we started the, the podcast. I had previously always played at least 100 shows a year, um, you know, plus, plus uh, travel days. And it had become so habitual that I'd never really stopped and thought, am I enjoying this anymore? Uh, so yeah. What level am I enjoying it? 
could I approach this in a different manner? Yeah. So for me, the, the COVID thing in the beginning was scary. It was like, oh, fuck, how, how am I going to, how am I going to bridge this, this gap between, you know, performing and, and all of a sudden not having that option anymore. But once that was kind of dealt with, what kicked in was like, oh, I have the space now and the time to actually reflect on the last 20 years of, of hard touring and recognize that I haven't really been fully enjoying it the last two or three years. It's become tiring. It's become work. And often I found myself in situations where I would still have a great gig, you know, 150 people would rock up. But I would leave and I'd go back to the hotel room and I and I would reflect on the gig and I was like, I wasn't even there during that gig, you know, I wasn't present during the gig, I didn't enjoy it, I don't want to be here. And so yeah, the COVID time kind of gave me enough mental space to to think about what was important on what level I want to tour now if I do go back to touring. Um that I do have other avenues open to me um, to, to make an income and also to, to do other things that are fulfilling for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and also when you have a family as well, you start to realize the, the whole vision that you had for yourself in the beginning about being some kind of world star. I mean, I, I let go of that premise ages ago, but what takes over is like, shit, I want to spend more time with my daughter. Mm hmm I want to, I want to have that relationship. Um, that's mm. as important to me. It's more important to me than, than touring. Um, from a personal standpoint, the touring is, is also very important because it's, it's a point of expression for me to be able to express myself emotionally and through music. And that's incredibly valuable, but to do it to a point where it becomes work and un, unenjoyable, then that set off some alarm bells for me. So yeah, again, like coming back to this thing of like being present, having the time to actually reflect and regularly checking in with yourself and figuring out, okay, what am I doing? Who am I? Where do I want to go? Where have I been? You know, hmm. blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Where have I been? Where am I going? Is it oh, it's really great questions, but you said something earlier and I think you were kind of relating to, to music, but I just had this like ding, ding, ding went off just asking yourself that question, am I really enjoying this anymore? And if mm -hmm. I think so many of us get, we're just in this habitual thing of drinking and we're in this habitual thing of just getting wasted on the weekends. As I say, it's not necessarily a music standpoint, but just this whole thing that I'm doing and this habit that I'm in, am I actually enjoying it anymore? And so many people are not actually mm -hmm. even enjoying themselves anymore. They're just doing it because it's this, it's what we fucking do. You know, mm. we're Australian or we're, you know, wherever we're from, that's what we do on the weekends. And am I even enjoying this anymore? I think it's a really important question. You're probably not listening to this podcast if you are really enjoying it still. But it is, you know, you said something else along with it, but just that, am I enjoying myself anymore? And I guess that, and those other questions, where have I been? Where do I want to go? You know, there's some big questions in there, JMI. And I think that's really important things to reflect on. Yeah. And, and again, like what experiences do I want to have and mm -hmm. how powerful do I want those experiences to be is, is the other side of things as well, because you, you can easily fall into that trap of like working nine to five Monday to Friday 
in order to look forward to the weekend. It's kind mm. of a, a phenomenon that a lot of people um, go through. And for me, that it's always felt weird, the idea of like giving away five of your days to experience two of them. Yeah, and there's there's so many greater positives that outweigh all of that and a lot of room that is made. I think that's the biggest thing, just a lot of mental space that is created once you decide that you're not going to be clouding yourself anymore with with a substance, that you're just yeah. going to making clear decisions um, along the way and, and having meaningful interactions with with people in the world. Yes. You know, I consider you a friend and I consider Ash a friend as well, but in all reality, the experiences that we've had in the past have all been fueled by booze. Mm-hmm. We don't really know that much about each other. I, mm-hmm. I know that I, I know that I like you very much, that I person and I think the same of Ash. You're both very, very talented at what you guys do. But aside from that, like we, you know, our relationship has been fueled by alcohol and of course by so business. True. I've been living in Europe for the last 10 years. So we haven't had the opportunity to sit in a room together and actually properly catch up. But I think the when that happens, it will be a much more rewarding um, catch up and, and one that's that's real and, and mm-hmm. there's nothing nothing artificial fueling that. So Absolutely. I think that's pretty fun as well. That, that you know, I think we're we're naturally drawn to people that, that we like and, and see mm-hmm. uh, something positive in and to be able to actually dive deep into that and, and really mm-hmm. experience a person and, and get what they've got to give and, and give back as well is a, is, is a nice thing. Oh, so true. So, um, Jamie, I just last question, if you could go back in time and speak to your 17, 18 year old self that was, you know, drinking there in year 12, what would you say to that guy? Um, yeah, well, I, I guess I, I would say first that I, I don't regret the journey that I've been on. I, I think a lot of people say the same thing on your podcast. Um, it's made me who I am and I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. That's fine. I would say go easy. Go easy. You have, yeah, you have plenty of time. You've got plenty of years to experience this stuff. Just go easy and, um, yeah, be, be gentle. Be gentle with yourself because I think hmm. um, when you're hitting the booze at that, age there's a you know it's the age of mental development as we talked about but it's also the age of emotional development Mm. you first start to really tap into what it's like to be in a relationship with someone and that could be a partner or it could be a a friendship you will no doubt enter into much more meaningful relationships at a younger age um, and set yourself up for better better i guess uh behaviors in in the future if that makes sense um Mm -hmm. set yourself up for allowing yourself to have certain experiences Mm. yeah so just i I would say take it easy be gentle Mm -hmm. be open yeah that's that's probably the advice i would give myself (laughs) that's awesome beautiful so jmi faulkner your new album alan keys and broken bits is out now on um all good streaming platforms and also available to buy of course um shipping to australia at the moment is not really feasible but um Uh go and give it a million streams so i can you know buy myself a cup of coffee and uh (laughs) yeah Yeah. download it a million times on spotify and um, i'll get five bucks (laughs) go go and enjoy it um it's been a labor of love and i'm really proud of it uh 
go and listen to it. And if you enjoy it, then uh, tell someone else about it because that would that would mean a lot. Awesome. And if you're listening in from Germany, jump on your website, which I'll put the show notes, I'll put your website links and all the links about you and what you do in the show notes. So yeah, if anyone sure. wants to check out any of your shows, they can go along and check you out themselves. Um, and just, you know, obviously thinking about you guys in Europe with everything that's going on with Russia and the Ukraine, and I know it's very close to home for you. So just really feeling that for you. And I mean, the whole world is feeling it at the moment, but I can't imagine what it must be like to be so close to home. So, well, I mean, I feel very uh, lucky at the moment. We are mm-hmm. safe. Uh, we are in a situation um, where we have a, a roof over our heads and, and we have nothing to to, to worry about on, on any level like the Ukrainians are, are dealing with at the moment. And um, it is very close to home. Literally, it's, it's a day's drive away. Yeah, it's, it's heart-wrenching. Um, mm. I, you know, I read the news every day and I, I can only take it in small doses at the moment because I can't help but put myself in, in the position of people who are, mm. who are going through what they're going through and I can't help but put my you know, see my wife and child in, in, you know, when you see these pictures of mm. women and fleeing, it, it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And um, yeah, I, I would just urge anyone um, who has the means to, to donate something. Mm. Um, there's many different organizations. Um, you can donate money directly. Uh, I've done this as well via Airbnb. So you can actually look for a, a person that would normally offer a home to rent out Mm. Um, and you can book their room. Of course, you're not going to stay there, but the money you give them will help them. Um, So I did that for, for a few different people. And one woman wrote back to me and she, she obviously said she was grateful and and that she's already fled her home in, in Kiev and is Mm. uh, basically, um, yeah, she's a refugee and the money will help her and her family. So if you have the means, um, please, please give. Um, and I would say the same for people in your region, Danny, of, in the Northern Rivers. Um, yeah, my thoughts have definitely been with you guys as well. And I, I know obviously you guys, but also other people who have been drastically mm. affected. And it's, um, it's heartbreaking. And um but the resilience you see is mm. also uh, a beautiful thing. And, and same over here in Europe, you know, I was, I was driving to Berlin to play a show on the weekend and it was very clear on, on the Autobahn that there was cars driving to the border to give medical supplies and mm-hmm. diapers and blankets. You know, you could see vans filled with blankets and diapers and mm. um, it's just, it's amazing how, there are people in this world who stop everything and they give and they give and they give and they give and they, um, yeah, they, they are the positive people in this world. You know, it's, it's very easy to negatives and, um, it's, I guess it's, um, there's, there's that glimmer of hope when you see things like that, it just makes you think, wow, okay, these, there's as many, great people in this world as as there are shitty ones or, or actually to be fair there's more there's much more positivity there is the it's negative and uh it's very important at this time that we band together 
you know, if we have the means to, to totally. help other people in need because there are plenty of people in need at the moment. I think that can help you fight the overwhelm as well because, for one, if you can be of service, be of service in any way, shape or form. So if you don't have the means financially, uh, you may be able to help someone in another way or you could perhaps get a group of people together to put in a small amount of money and then donate to, you know, to someone or just to see the goodness in people. So like you say, like you see people, you know, putting themselves out to, to help. And it's the same thing here when these floods hit. I just was so over, like overcome with just like, oh, like so much gratitude for people that were just coming down and offering to help. People were turning up, knocking on our doors, strangers, just offering to help us clean up. And then we had beautiful friends like um, Bobby Alou and just came, dropped everything, came to help us. When their place was not even affected, they just came and put their bloody boots on and got their gloves on and just came and helped, which is so incredible. And people like Ziggy Alberts, uh, I don't know if you know him. He's pretty big over here in Australia. Great musician. And him and a few other guys, other musos, got together and hired some fucking planes. They just got people to put in money. They hired planes and got medical supplies to wow. everyone in the Northern Rivers, to up in Brisbane, to all over the all the flood-affected areas because there was no government, like no one was coming to help and there was people stuck in the hills. And so Ziggy Alberts just single-handedly or well, not single-handedly had help but he's obviously got a huge profile so he just got so much money together and just hiring planes and taking like tons of medical supplies and clean water and I mean I that sort of thing is just point. I mean it, a guy like Ziggy Alberts I, I don't know him personally and, and I don't know his, his music but he's using his platform yeah which and and his uh his fan base to create awareness of an issue and I think we can all do that in some small way you know, you, you can raise money at the office, put out a jar and if, exactly. if you raise a bucks, you know, that's, um, yeah. that's great. Um, you get a group of people together and you'll put in a small amount if that's all you can do, but yeah. Well, talk to the boss about ways that the company can help, you know, companies have money. Yeah. Um, stuff is all tax deductible. Yes. Uh, so be part of the conversation more than anything else and, and help where you can. Oh, totally. And if that's not within your capabilities or whatever, just see the goodness, you know, see the goodness in other people that are doing this stuff and and just focus on that for a while rather than getting so overwhelmed. Because I know there's a lot of people that are feeling super overwhelmed with what's going on in the world, um, especially over there in Europe with what's going on here and then with COVID. So it's, again, it's making that choice of where you want to put your focus and when you start to see it going down that negative road, I think it's really important to try and shift it to either, yeah, to be of service or just to at least see the goodness. Cause there's always something, you know, there's always goodness in every situation. There is. Um, it's, it's important. J.M.I. Faulkner, thank you so much for finally coming on the podcast and having a chat. I hope, uh, yeah, I hope I had something of value to say. <laughs> oh, you always do. And I hope that uh, we get you back in Australia at some time for you to be um, touring over here and we get to see your amazing talents. Yeah. Well, I don't know when that will be, but um, I do miss home. You know, sometimes over here in Germany, people ask me, what do you miss most about home? And I always say the smell, the mm-hmm. smell of Australia is it, it's unlike any other country that I've visited. When you get out of that telemarine airport and that kind of dry 
air hits your nostrils and you know, coupled with the whole eucalyptus thing. And yeah, it's, it smells like home. I miss that. I miss that, that uh, considerably at the moment, mm. especially. Mm. Yeah, I bet. On the stage, but um, I will. I'll get back eventually. Yeah. Well, keep us posted. And I'll certainly keep our audience here in the How I Quit Alcohol community posted as well. So good on you and uh, just keep on doing what you do. You're amazing. Thanks, mate. You too. See ya. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.